Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel podcast. My name is Jonathan Downs, and I am the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Canberra, Australia. I'm delighted that you are listening to this message, and my prayer is that this word will bless your life. If you'd like to submit a prayer request, or if you are interested in a personal Bible study, we would love to hear from you. Please visit our website at www.calvarychapel.com.au to get in contact with us, or if you want to find out more about our church. Thanks for joining us, and let's go to the Word of God. Well, remain standing, go in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through to 4. Amen. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, and 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. Amen. I hope you got it in your Bibles. It's a Bible study tonight. It's important that we know what the Word of God says. Everything that we believe must come back to the Bible, to the Word of God. And if we don't base what we believe on the Word of God, we can be swept away with any wind of doctrine. Because if you're not going to base what you believe on God's Word, you'll believe anything. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Everyone say the gospel of Christ. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now we go to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. This is Paul speaking again. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. What is Paul declaring? All right, so if you want to know the gospel, listen up. He says, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which... Also, you are saved. So there's a connection between, in both those verses, there's a connection between the gospel and salvation. But which all, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Paul tells us here, I'm going to declare unto you the gospel by which you stand, by which you are saved. He said the gospel is that Jesus died for our sins, He was buried, and He rose again on the third day. I want to speak on this title and teach on this title tonight, The Power of God Unto Salvation. I've taken that from Romans chapter 1, verse 16. It says, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go to your word today, Lord God, help us to hear. Lord, with our spiritual ears, help us not to be distracted. Help us to receive. Lord, help us to learn something new today. Lord, help us to... Lord, reinforce the truths that we already know, not just for our own good, Lord God, that we may be also able to share this gospel with other people, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. You may be seated. The power of God unto salvation. One of the most important things that you need to learn when reading the New Testament as you actually need to learn what you're reading. All right? Because there are how many books in the New Testament? 27 books in the New Testament. And for those that want extra marks, how many in the Old Testament? 39 books in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we, we can break the New Testament up into sections. The first four books of the New Testament are called what? The Gospels. That's why you'll read the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of John. And then we have the book of Acts, which are the Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the Apostles. Now, some people often in your Bible call it the Acts of the Apostles, but we know that it wasn't the Apostles that were doing those things. They were empowered by the Holy Ghost. 
So it'd be right for to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. That's the book of Acts. Then we come to a whole lot of books in the Bible that we call the epistles. The epistles are letters to the church, letters to people that are already saved. And so we've got the letter to the Corinthians, the letter to the church at Ephesus, the letter to the church at uh, Colossae, the letter to the church at Thessalonica, all these letters, the epistles. And then we finish it off with the book of Revelation, which is not just prophecy about the end times. Yes, it does contain that. But the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And John the Revelator was the one who wrote the book of Revelation. That's why they call him John the Revelator. But there's another name we call John. Does anyone know what that name is? John? Yeah, John the Beloved. Exactly right. John the Beloved. And John was so in love with Jesus. John knew that Jesus loved him. In fact, a number of times in the New Testament... In the Gospels, you'll read that John refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loves. Isn't that amazing? John the Beloved, he truly understood the love of Jesus Christ. He truly understood it. And you know, and I, when I think about the book of Revelation, some of us, when we read about the horsemen and the seven seals and all these things, we can be quite overwhelmed and even scared about what we read. And how could John write such things? if he didn't truly understand that Jesus loved him. That was key. And so we know that in spite of what may happen in the last days and all these things, we know that Jesus loves us. And he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And so it took John the Revelator to write Revelation because he truly understood the love of Jesus Christ. And so you've got to understand your Bible when you read it. But in these two texts today... We see the link between the gospel and salvation. We see the link. The gospel is the good news of salvation. When somebody preaches the gospel, they are telling you how to be saved and how to stay saved. Paul told us that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the reality for every single one of us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get good, but he died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, and he did all of that for us. Now, very often, when you go to church at Easter, and sadly, sometimes the only time people go to church is at Easter and Christmas. But sometimes when you, when you go to church at, uh, a church at Easter, they talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They have their Good Friday. They have their Resurrection Sunday. And they remember all of these things about Jesus, that he died, was buried, and rose again. But what do those historical facts mean to us today? Are we just remembering this good man, or some may say a prophet, this good man who died, was buried, and rose again? You see, merely preaching the historical events isn't going to change anyone's life. We must understand why Jesus did it and what it means for us. And the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is the power of God unto salvation. By his death, burial, and resurrection, we are saved. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. And so the significance of these acts of Jesus, that is that Jesus Christ would purchase our salvation. And the book of Romans says, to all who would believe on him. Everybody say believe. And so the good news is that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again to all who would respond in faith. Everybody say faith. Now this is where we need to begin to understand what faith is. Really, what is faith? Because Paul said in our text, Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God, that's the gospel, it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And so is it enough to ask somebody, do you believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again? Do you believe that? Is, is, is it enough for somebody to raise their hand and say, I believe that? And is it, a, is it appropriate for us to say, well, now you're saved? 
The answer is that we can only go to the Bible and see what the Bible says about faith. Because we would say believing is just a, a point in time, something that happens in our head. Maybe even convinced that something happened. But the Bible clearly teaches us what faith is. And there is a lot of misconception around this idea of faith, so much so that people can say, well, if you believe in Jesus, raise your hand. Oh, thank you very much. Congratulations, you're saved. But is that the type of faith that is required of us? Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. It's a great scripture, and hopefully you've memorized it. It's a good one to memorize. For by grace are you saved. Everyone say we're saved by grace. Okay? We didn't do it. It's the unmerited favor of God. We didn't do anything to deserve Jesus dying on the cross for us. It was by his grace that he died for us. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. The topic here is the grace of God. It's nothing that we did. God extended to his, us his grace. His unmerited favor. We did nothing to deserve it. Imagine getting caught speeding on Northbourne Avenue in the 40 kilometer zone and you get a ticket. You know you've gone 55 in a 40 zone. You get your ticket and somebody says, Don't worry, it's paid. Did you do anything to deserve it? No. It was a gracious act by the traffic office. So, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. We've got nothing to boast about. We can't say, I saved myself, or I, I did this, and, and, and you know, I deserved what Jesus did, you know, all of those things. So grace is God's unmerited favor, or we could say undeserved favor. Grace cannot be earned. You can't earn grace. It is something that is freely given. By grace are you saved through faith. And so grace, is one way to describe grace is getting what you don't deserve. All right? Getting what we don't deserve. Mercy, though, is often people get them confused. Mercy is when God withholds what we do deserve. And so there is nothing we can personally do to earn God's grace. It's not of works. Nobody can walk around here and say, Have, do you know what I did? You know what I did to deserve God's grace? You know what I did to deserve Jesus dying for me? No. Even while we were sinners, he died for us. And so grace is not received by our works. It's not. God's grace is available to all humanity. So why, doesn't, why isn't everyone saved? If God's grace is available to all humanity, why isn't everybody saved? Here's the thing, only those who respond in faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. That's very important, through faith. Everyone say faith. So we got to understand what faith is. What is faith? James chapter 2 verse, people would say, well, faith is simply believing. But belief is not enough because James chapter 2 verse 19 says, the devil believes. Even the devil believes. The devil believes in the power of the cross. Don't, don't, get, don't make that mistake of thinking he doesn't believe in the power of cross, power of the cross. He certainly believes in the power of the cross. He believes in the power of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Why? Because that was the day that he lost the keys to his own house. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. Jesus took the keys off him he knows and he believes the power of the cross don't make a mistake about that he believes the bible tells us james 2 19 the devil believes you see he believes it he knows because genesis 3 15 which was the first prophecy in the bible it says that the serpent's head would be crushed and the heel would be bruised and Jesus was bruised for us. His heel was bruised, but ultimately he dealt the death blow to Satan and won the ultimate victory over him. Let me tell you, the devil believes. He believes in the power of the cross. And so what is saving faith? Everyone say saving faith. What is saving faith? Saving faith is more than something mental in our head. 
It's more than simply saying, I believe in Jesus. It's more than simply saying, I believe in the cross. I believe in the blood of Jesus. I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. It's more than a moment in time. It's more than that. Yes, I'm not under, 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 um, under mining faith. Faith is the genesis of everything good that happens in our life. Faith is the beginning point. But what is saving faith? Let's go to James chapter 2, verse 16, uh, 17 to 26. Because this is a, a great slab of Scripture talking about faith. Now, there are some proponents that, that would try to say, yeah, you, all you need to do is just believe in Jesus. And those same people, if you study history, they want to get rid of the book of James out of their Bibles as well. There's a well-known guy who tried to get rid of the book of James because it didn't line up with his doctrine of faith. James chapter 2, verse 17 sets it out like this. Even so, faith, if it has not work or has not works, is dead being alone. So faith alone, if it doesn't have action, if it doesn't have works, it is dead. Everyone say dead faith. So faith that involves no action is dead faith. So somebody says, I, you know, I believe I can fly. All right. Anybody heard that song? I hear it on the radio sometimes. But do you really believe you can fly? Here's the test. Jump. Because you can say it as much as you want. But unless it's accompanied with some action, it's dead faith. Simple. Yet a man may say, thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works and I will show you my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? I think, I think they're, you know, he's trying to get a point across here. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered, his, offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, how faith was accompanied with his works? And by works was faith made perfect. Faith was dead without action, but his faith was made perfect by his action. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and he was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see, then, how by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise, just another example, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body, is, for, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So faith has to involve action. It's not a, just a point in time it's not just a, something that you have in your head. It's not just a belief at a point in time. And so we must understand that faith without works is dead. And James has gone to great length in this portion of Scripture to explain exactly that. Now let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. We read here, this is Peter who had the keys to the kingdom. Everyone say the keys to the kingdom. Now that, that's not some literal keys. He wasn't going to go unlock the door. But Peter was given the revelation to preach the gospel, how to get into the kingdom. He was given the keys to the kingdom. And so Peter, after the ascension of Jesus Christ, after Jesus died, was buried, he rose again. He was seen of 40 days. He ascended into heaven. Now Peter comes to the scene. This is the first message of the New Testament church. The first sermon. And it's a great scripture. Why? Because we've got a question and we've got an answer. Everyone say a question and everyone say an answer. Okay, here's Peter's sermon, a little portion of it. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly 
that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, he told them what they must do. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What was their response? Did they say, we believe? They didn't say, we believe. It's obvious that they believed. It's obvious that there was faith. But their faith was demonstrated by the fact that they said and asked this question, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter told them what to do. There was obviously faith there. And Peter said, this is how you put your faith into operation. Now, we see here, and people who would believe in faith alone would say that baptism is not part of salvation. They would say it's not part of salvation at all. But Peter commanded baptism on the day of Pentecost. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very clear. And then Paul goes on to explain what happens in baptism. Let's go to Romans chapter 6, verse 3 to 4. Paul explains the, the role of baptism in the plan of salvation in Romans 6. Because Paul says, no, you're not. That so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. All right? So you identify with the death and burial of Jesus Christ through repentance and being buried in the water in baptism. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. And so Peter commands them to be baptized. They say, what shall we do? He said, the first thing to demonstrate your faith is you've got to repent. You're going to have to make an inward change of attitude that results in an outward change of action. Let me tell you, that's what repentance is. That's, that's probably the best definition I could give you of repentance. It is something that happens on the inside that is seen on the outside. Repentance is not just an internal thing. It becomes demonstrated on the outside. An inward change of attitude that results in an outward change of action. And so Peter said, repent. And then he said, and be baptized. And then Paul tells us that when we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into his death, that just like Jesus rose, we also shall rise in newness of life. You see, when you're baptized, your sins are washed away and you rise in newness of life. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's what happens at baptism. Let me tell you today, your sins are washed away. How many people are thankful that their sins have been washed away in the waters of baptism? I'm thankful. Praise God. As far as the east is from the west, they're from God's mind. That's the power of baptism. And so if you keep reading Romans, Romans is a great book. Why? Because it tells us about faith. It clearly tells us that faith is not just believing, and it's not just a point in time, but faith is demonstrated by obedience to the gospel. Everyone say obedience to the gospel. And so here is the application of the gospel. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again. What does that mean for us? We must also die to our old life. That speaks of repentance. We must also be buried. We are submerged and buried under the water. We must also rise again, which speaks of that new breath that we have, the infilling of the Holy Spirit. We apply the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to our life when we die, when we are buried, and when we rise again through repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. So I told you that Romans is great. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 5. And I'm not, I don't know if I've got these on the screen. I can't remember. But Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, we're going to study Romans here for a bit and uh, find out what faith is. Romans 1 verse 5, it's uh, the salutation here at the beginning. Uh, 
Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, it says here in verse 5, by whom we received, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. Everyone say obedience to the faith. So somebody who believes faith is just believing something in your head. That ought to open their eyes. Okay, hang on. What does it mean to be obedient to the faith? And so we have in the very first chapter, Paul is telling us that faith requires obedience. Now if we go down to verse 16 and 17, this is a little portion of Scripture that talks about the just living by faith. For I am not ashamed, we read it before, of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall, everyone say live, by faith. So there's more than just something going on in your head and saying, yeah, I believe that. The just shall live by faith. It's demonstrated. Now we go across to Romans chapter six, uh, Romans chapter six, verse seventeen and eighteen. Uh, Romans chapter six, verse seventeen and eighteen. I think I've got that one on the screen. Uh, verses Romans six, seventeen and eighteen. It says here. This is important. We're talking about faith. All right. Very important scripture right here. This is a key one. But God be thanked, everyone say, thank God, all right, that you were servants of sin. Okay, so that before they were servants, they were servants of sin. What changed? But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Okay, so you were servants of sin, but you have obeyed that form of doctrine. What was Paul preaching? He was preaching the gospel. (laughs) But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which I delivered unto you. So what happened when they obeyed? You were made free from sin, being come servants of righteousness. And so we've got here, we've got the servants of sin, And over here, we've got servants of righteousness. And how does somebody go from being a servant of sin to a servant of righteousness? They go there by obedience to the word of God. Faith without works is dead. It's not just a point in time. It's not something that just happens in your head. Faith must be accompanied by obedience to the word of God. Of God, And Paul says, I've, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I've come to preach the gospel. And he said, the, the way you go from a servant of, un, of, of sin to a servant of righteousness is that you obey from the heart the form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, as Paul preached the gospel. And then we go down to Thess- Thessalonians. Everyone say Thessalonians. Let's go there, First, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8. I'm trying to point out to you that faith is demonstrated by action, by obedience. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, just a very small portion of Scripture here, but it's in the context of the future judgment. Paul's talking about the future judgment. And in verse 8 it says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance of them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there will be, Hellfire for those that don't obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody says, hey, I thought you just had to believe in the gospel. No, you have to obey because faith is obedience. That is what saving faith is. Faith is more than something that just happens in our head. It's more than saying, I believe in Jesus. It's more than saying, I believe in the cross. It's more than saying, I believe in the gospel. Paul tells us that we are justified by faith. Four times throughout Scripture, the Bible says, the just shall live by faith. It's a life that's lived. It's obedience. And so we go back to Ephesians. It says, by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift from God. That is grace. You don't, we don't deserve God's grace. Okay, so what happened? And this is a lovely illustration I like to use. Think of that door being the door that 
is the door of salvation. Okay, through that door, we can be saved. That's, that's heaven on the other side of there. Let's pretend. And so, for by grace are you saved through faith. So, because of Adam and Eve, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. So the door to salvation was closed to all humanity. Obedience to the Mosaic law couldn't open up the door. It was bolted shut, chained shut. No good actions, even obeying all the Ten Commandments, all those things. None of those things could open up the door. It was locked. But as Jesus died on the cross, just like the veil was rent, the door was also open, the door of salvation was open to everyone in the world, all humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That door of salvation was opened to every single human being. Does that mean that everybody on earth is going to be saved? No. But it means the door is open to every single person. And so, if the door is open, then how do we get through it? It says that we are saved by grace through faith. Number one, you have to believe that the door is open. That's a good start. Then you need to take action and walk through the door. And you do that through obedience. It starts with faith. It's the genesis of everything. But it, faith results in repentance being obedient to the word. Even Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized, Mark 16, shall be saved. And so we walk through that door by being born again of the water and the spirit. And so what the door is open, the grace open, the door to everybody, but only those that have faith will walk through it. Let's think about an illustration here. Let's say that uh, we had a drought in Canberra and... Um, and the government decided that they were going to help everybody because everyone's plants died. Well, that would be a horrible thing for, to happen to my mum. All right? But let's say everybody's plants died. And the government said, well, we realize that some people are doing it hard and you've lost all your plants and your grass. But we're going to offer everybody $1,000. $1,000 so you can plant some plants. And uh, all you need to do is you need to fill in this form and come and collect it. That'd be a very nice thing to do, wouldn't it? And so number one, it was available to every household. The thousand dollars were the... So all you had to do is to go fill in the form and collect your thousand dollars. Okay? It took faith. So I tell Brother Eugene, hey, Brother Eugene, on Sunday morning, did you know the government's given $1,000? He says, I don't believe it. Oh, well, he misses out. Josh, did you know they're given? He goes, yeah. What, do I, what must I do? Well, let me tell you, there's an application form. Go to Access Canberra, hand the app, and then it's yours. So I've got to do something? Yeah, of course, if you believe it's there, then go get it. Now, some people would say that baptism is a work. And so we're not saved by works. Baptism is a work. I'm going to ask you a serious question. Does anybody seriously believe that baptism is a work? Did you actually do any work to wash away your sins? <laughs> what did you do in the water? I'm asking you, what did you do to wash your sins away in the water? God did the work. Who are we to say that we did some work? Would you, would you say when you got the $1,000 for your new plants? Well, pastor, that was hard work. You serious? You just turned up and got it. Baptism is not a work. God does the work. Baptism is simply being obedient to what God's word says. Just like that door. The door of salvation is open to everybody. We are saved by grace through faith. It takes faith to walk through, and faith is demonstrated by our obedience. And so Paul told us in Romans 6 that they went from servants of sin to servants of righteousness because they were obedient. Let's go um, Hebrews 11. Let's talk more about faith. Hebrews 11 is called the faith chapter. Everyone say the hall of faith. 
People call it, people call some places the hall of fame. Hebrews 11 is called the hall of faith because it talks about the faith of, of the patriarchs, all right? So it talks about faith. Everyone say faith. Okay, so we're going to learn a lot about faith. Okay, first of all, in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Noah. Okay, what did Noah do by faith? By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, being moved with fear, what did he do by faith? He prepared an ark. The ark was prepared as a demonstration of his faith. By faith, verse 7, uh, verse 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, by faith, what did Abraham do? He obeyed. When you see faith in the Bible, faith is celebrated because of what they did in obedience, not simply because they just had something in their head. It's what they did. In the book of Exodus, Exodus is a type of salvation. The children of Israel came out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 3. Quickly turn there in your Bible. We know that God sent all those plagues and Pharaoh would not let the people go. Eventually, there was the angel of death, which would pass over. Everyone say the Passover, which pass over the land of Egypt. And God said, this angel of death is coming. He said, I'm going to give the Israelites instructions. And if you don't follow the instructions, the firstborn in every house will die. God gave instructions. Exodus 12, verse 3. Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for each house. You see, what they had to do with that lamb, they had to take the lamb. Number one, they had to, ha they had to believe that the lamb was going to provide for their salvation. But it was not enough just to believe. They had to take the blood of the lamb and they had to apply the, the blood to the doorposts and the lintel. Everyone say they had to apply it. And more than that, the Passover meal was to be eaten on the night that follows the killing of the lamb. God is very specific about what they had to do. He said it's to be eaten with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They had eat the meal quickly and with their traveling clothes on, ready to leave in a hurry. Anyone that has lamb left over, verse 9 says, they had to burn it up before the morning. You see, they had to do something. And so when the angel of death passed over all of that Egypt, there was two things. There was either a dead lamb or a dead firstborn. They lived because they obeyed what God said. They were saved. Noah's family was saved. Why? Because he built an ark. He did it. You see, faith without works is dead. And then we get to Hebrews 11 verse 28. And it tells us all about this. You, you think, well, pastor, you know, what has this whole Exodus thing got to do with faith? The Bible says it does. Hebrews 11 verse 28. Through faith, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of, he did all of that because it was a sign of faith. Through faith, Moses kept the Passover, Hebrews 11 verse 28, and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Likewise for us, saving faith includes obedience. Faith is not simply believing. And the whole idea that we are saved by faith alone the only place in the Bible where you will find the words faith alone in the same sentence, it is finished by saying, is dead. Faith is the genesis of everything good that happens, but faith must be demonstrated by action. Then we go to Matthew 25 about the sheep and the goats. Jesus talks about the sheep and the goats. One group is going to be saved and one group is going to be lost. Why? because of what they did and what they didn't do. Then we go to the wise and the foolish builders. One, the difference was obedience. One built their, their house on the sand. One built their house on the rock, which speaks of the word of God. 
The difference between the house that stood and the house that fell down was obedience. The ten virgins, there were five wise and five foolish. What was the difference between the five wise and the five foolish? Obedience. And so faith without works is dead. You cannot separate faith and obedience because ultimately, this is, this is what this little part of this lesson is all about, because ultimately faith is obedience. Faith is obedience. Now let's go to Luke chapter 24 as I transition and get ready to finish tonight. Luke chapter 24, verse 47. Now this is an important portion of Scripture because it's right before Jesus ascends into heaven. Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. I can't hear the pages turning, probably because it's on the screen. It says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So there's some things. Repentance, remission of sins, preached in the name of Jesus, beginning at Jerusalem. And verse 49, and Jesus says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you, go and wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endured with power from on high. And so, here we have it. In Luke chapter 24 and verse 50, it says that after Jesus had spoken those words, he, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while Jesus was blessing them, he was parted from them and carried into heaven. Okay? So what did the disciples do? They did what they were told to do. They went straight to Jerusalem to tarry. Okay, what were they tarrying for? Verse 49 says, until they were endured with power from on high. Jesus says, I'm getting out of here right now, but go to Jerusalem and wait and tarry and I'm going to give you power from on high. I'm going to empower you. And so what they went to Jerusalem, they had a 10-day prayer meeting. And on, the, on that 10th day, there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. And so there they were. They were all speaking in tongues. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But let's go back to verse 47. It's on the screen. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. So remember, repentance, remission of sins, preached in his name beginning at Jerusalem. Okay, we've got four things to check. Everyone say four things. <laughs> all right. So Acts 1 they're in Jerusalem and tarrying. Then we get to Acts chapter 2. And Peter, who's got the keys to the kingdom, okay? He's got the keys to the kingdom. He's there. He's the right guy. He's at the right place. He's in Jerusalem. And what's he preaching? Let's see. Let's see if he's preaching repentance and remission and sins. And let's see if he's preaching it in his name. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Here goes Peter. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, right guy, Peter has got the keys to the kingdom. Right question, what shall we do? Then Peter said, repent. Oh, here it is, that repentance and remission of sins. So he's preaching repentance. Be repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. There it is. He's preaching in the name of Jesus and for the remission of sins, there it is again, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what Jesus said. He said, I'm leaving. Go and tarry. He said, go and wait. And repentance and remission of sins shall be preached in my name, beginning at Jerusalem. You see, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, the reason why I love it so much is because it tells us how to apply the gospel to our life. It begins with faith. Faith that results in repentance, an inward change of attitude, which results in an outward change of action. Then we submit ourselves to God in obedience by being baptized in Jesus' name. Amen. We are baptized in Jesus' name. And what happens? You get church membership? No. <laughs> Baptism is for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift, and God will fill you with the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
That is the plan of salvation. And I encourage somebody today, if you've never, been, if you've never repented of your sins, it's time to repent of your sins. It's time to turn to Jesus and live for Jesus. And we are testimonies in this place that Jesus can change your life. And once you're done repenting, go down into the waters of baptism. Get the name of Jesus called over you and have your sins washed away. There's nothing like being baptized in Jesus' name. Amen? Praise God. All right. So it's the power of God unto salvation. Let me deal with one objection. Everyone say an objection. Now, there'll be a lot of people that try to throw this objection up. And when they throw it up, you have to ask them to study their Bible a little bit harder. Because if you understand what you're reading and you understand the Bible, it's easy to understand what the answer to this question is. So one of the responses you'll get from somebody that doesn't want to be baptized, even though Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But there may be some that would object to baptism. And they will try to use a scenario in the Bible to explain why they shouldn't be baptized. They'll say, Pastor, the thief on the cross went to heaven and he didn't get baptized. And so we all know the account, don't we? Jesus is hanging on the cross. The thief is hanging next to him. And Jesus says, tomorrow you're going to be with me in paradise. Well, hang on, did, they get down and get, did he get down and get baptized? No. So what we need to understand about that, because if you don't understand your Bible, you're going to go, uh, tricky one, hey, tricky one. The thief on the cross didn't obey the gospel. Even though that thief was saved, he never got baptized. And so people say, well, if it's good enough for the thief, it's good enough for me. I'm not going to get baptized. But the, the thing is, is that the New Testament came into came into effect at the death of Jesus Christ. Everyone say the death of Jesus Christ. And so this is the new, like the new will and testament. Jesus, the testator, was still alive. He hadn't died. So the New Testament wasn't in effect yet. And so when you realize that we are in a different, we are in a different dispensation. With that in mind, the account in the thief of the cross comes to us in the Gospels. Jesus has not yet died. And what is the Gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so, this was in, this was in a previous covenant. The, that, that thief on the cross is a unique thing. Why? Because that thief was the last person ever saved under the old covenant. When Jesus died, the Gospel came into effect which is repentance, baptism, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. You see, the New Testament church era didn't even begin until the Feast of Pentecost. That was the birth of the church. And so using the example of the thief on the cross is a poor example because Jesus hadn't yet died by the mere fact that he's responding to this thief. He's still alive. The New Testament and the gospel was not in effect yet. And so... We finish by going to John chapter 3. After all that I've said, and I know a lot of this will just be revision. Maybe some of it is new. Uh, hopefully some of it is going to help you explain uh, answers to questions that people may ask. But doctrine is important. <laughs> doctrine is important. Understanding what the Bible teaches is important. John chapter 3 verse 1 to 5. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Good question. You're telling me to be born again? And then he adds, Can I enter the second time into my mother's womb and come out again? Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you. So he doesn't understand what Jesus means when he says, You've got to be born again. 
And so Jesus clarifies it and he says, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Straight out of the mouth of Jesus. You've got to be born of the water and the spirit. And it just happens that Peter preached the same message. He said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. What are we baptized? In water. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit to be born of water and spirit. And this is so important. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul went on to say, the gospel is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're not just historical facts. We must also die, which speaks of repentance. We must also be buried in the waters of baptism. Okay? Now, maybe there's some here that have thought of baptism being something different, like sprinkling. And maybe in the, you, sometimes you watch the Ten Commandments on Christmas Day. It's the only show that they put on TV. <laughs> the Ten Commandments. And, and sometimes in those old movies, you see them sprinkling people with water on their head, that's not how baptism happened. In fact, the, the, the word baptize means to dip and plunge under the water, to bury under the water. And so the word for sprinkle is raltize. It's a totally different word. And so baptism is literally a burial under the water. And don't worry, we don't hold you that long. Tell you a funny story. One, one guy asked my dad. My dad's getting ready to baptize. And my dad's about to go, we're about to come out of the office and go to the baptism tank. My dad says, have you got any more questions? And the man says, well, just one more. My dad said, okay, go ahead. He says, how long are you going to hold me under? My dad couldn't resist until the old man's dead. <laughs> exactly right. Because in the waters of baptism, our old man dies. It's a burial underwater, buried in the waters of baptism, rising to newness of life. Amen. Are you thankful for salvation today? Are you thankful that we've got the Word of God? And I'm thankful that when we look at the Scriptures, we can see it. And let me encourage you. This is a church where I don't expect you to believe what I say, but I do expect you to believe what the Bible says. And nothing I can say can outdo the Word of God, and nothing I can say has any worth unless it comes from the Word of God. Call it whatever you want. I'm just a man. And the only thing that I say of any worth is when I preach the Word of God, because the Word has power. Amen. Praise God.